Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, or the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see that your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word this morning. And God, we pray that as we dig into this, as we dig into this new sermon series, as we dig into this text this morning, reveal yourself to us. Speak through me. Remove anything that I have of my own, God, and just let it all be you this morning. God, we love you and we praise you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We've got a new sermon series starting this morning. We just finished reading through the book of John. We started in September of 2018, and we finished in December of 2019. And so we're starting 2020 with a new sermon series, and it's called Mountains. Mountain. It's it's an idea that we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has for us in in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we're going to look at the, the big topical realities of our culture today. The big topical realities of our culture today that oftentimes feel like mountains. They're so big and they're so difficult to understand and to climb that that they feel like mountains. And Jesus addresses those. If you look in in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7, you just look at the headings in in your text. You see all of these things that Jesus is speaking to. He's talking towards anger. He talks about sexual glorification, mental health issues, anxiety. Marriage, divorce, self-help, and the list goes on. And these things in our culture that seem really big and difficult feel like these mountains that are hard to climb and hard to navigate, and sometimes we don't even know where to start. And so in this sermon series, as we dig into this together, our goal is to do two things. We want to understand these realities. We want to have an understanding of, of what they are in our culture today. And then we want to understand, how do we engage these realities well? How do we live reflecting Jesus towards these realities well? And so they feel like mountains. They're big. They're difficult to understand. And we don't even engage them often. 
these things that might come up in your personal life or somebody at work is struggling with this one thing and, 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 and you don't even know what to do with it because it's just so big and I don't have, I'm not a professional, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a anything and trust me, I'm not one either. So how do we engage these things that seem so big and so difficult and so hard in our culture? Oftentimes I think our mentality is to storm up the mountain and plant a flag for Jesus and say, this is it, we, we won. <clears throat> but that doesn't work. And oftentimes our other thing is we're just gonna knock it down and we're just gonna knock this mountain down and pretend it never existed. And that doesn't work either. Jesus asked us to engage these things and to engage them well. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. I'm not going to talk about any specific topic. We're just going to talk about how do we begin engaging these mountains? How do we begin to climb these things that seem so big and so difficult and so hard to understand in our world today? Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, is where we're going to start. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how is its saltiness to be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people under people's feet. So Jesus says in order to engage these things in our world today, you have to understand that you are the salt of the earth. And that fan is blowing my Bible everywhere and driving me nuts. There we go. Um, we have to understand that we are the salt of the earth. And so if we're going to be the salt of the earth, we have to understand what is salt. What is salt? Anybody, uh, chemical compound for salt, chemistry teacher? NaCl, sodium chloride, right? Sodium chloride, NaCl, it's just a crystal. It, it occurs in nature naturally. That's, that's all it is, but it's everywhere. It's inside of us. It's inside of uh, most living things. It's, it's, it's everywhere in our world. It can be found all over the planet. It's natural. And oftentimes in today's world, it's used to flavor. We have a, a little tin of kosher salt right by our stovetop, so you just grab a pinch and put it on whatever you need to put it on, right? We oftentimes have salt on the tables. McDonald's oftentimes sometimes puts too much salt on their French fries. It's made some of you don't believe so. <laughs> I was tempted to read the scripture today eating a bag of Lay's just to get some salt going, Right? We, we enjoy it for flavor. It brings out the flavors of the foods that we eat. It makes them like new. My, my, my mother uh, was not a big salter growing up. She didn't use salt all that much. And so um, we would, and I never really grabbed salt and put it as an additive until one day I did and I learned that I'd, my, my food life had been in black and white for so many years <laughs> until salt came into play, right? Salt is a way to flavor food, but in Jesus' day, salt was mainly used as a preservative. It was to stop things from spoiling. It was to make things last longer, to keep them safe to eat. So they would take a piece of meat or a fish, and they would cover it in salt. They'd cover it in salt, and the salt would penetrate, penetrate the meat, and it would draw out the moisture of the meat and dry out the meat, and get it to a place where no impurities could live, no bacteria could live, no fungus could live, nothing could live inside of that, so that the meat wouldn't spoil. 
It wouldn't spoil. It would be different. It wouldn't be the same as it was, but it wouldn't spoil. And so they could take something that they, that they uh, slaughtered in the fall, and it would last for months, last them through a winter, last them for a season. And so they would cover the meat and salt, remove the moisture from it. But here's the deal. The text here says, if the salt lost its taste, if it wasn't salty anymore... It's not good for anything. Why? Because if the salt was impure, if it had impurities in it, it wouldn't do the job of preservation. It wouldn't remove enough moisture. It wouldn't remove enough of the, the environment there where bacteria and fungi could live so that the meat could be preserved. Instead, the meat would spoil. It might even look like it's been preserved, but it's not. Salt's used to flavor and to preserve. So how does salt work? How does salt work? Well, oftentimes today, like you take a pinch and you just kind of put it over your food and that's a little additive, a little flavor additive. But if we're preserving something, you need a lot of salt. You can't just have a sprinkling of it or just a little bit of it and it can't just be near the meat. It's gotta be in full contact with the meat. Salt must be in contact in order to preserve. It must be right there with it. The other thing salt needs is time. Salt starts to work immediately. If you've ever gotten a large piece of, of chicken out or, or beef out and you've put salt on it and you just kind of left it on the counter for a little bit, the salt will dissolve and, and move into the meat and the moisture will start to pull out pretty quickly. But if you're preserving a large piece of meat, you're going to need some time. Salt needs contact and salt needs time in order to preserve the thing that it's working on. If we're to engage these mountain-sized realities of our culture, we must be willing to put, the, put in the time and to be in contact with these things around us. Oftentimes, I think when somebody comes to us and says, I'm struggling with this, I'm just... I'm just angry all of the time and I don't know what to do about it and I just, I just, I don't wanna be this way anymore. We say, okay, uh, let me point you in another direction and then maybe somebody else can help you. Or somebody comes to you with another issue and they, they bring it to you hoping that you have something for them because they know that you're a Christian, they know that you're a follower of Christ, but, but we, we kind of shy away from it. We don't have the time in our day to put in. We don't have the, the time in our day to get messy with somebody. We're not willing to be in contact with the world around us. And if Jesus Christ is calling us to be the salt of the earth, we have to be in contact. And we can't shy away from it. And we have to be willing to put in the time and the effort that's needed to help preserve our culture around us. Salt takes contact and salt takes time to flavor and to preserve. And these mountains that we see in our culture, these difficult things that are hard to climb and hard to navigate, require our time and they require us to be in the trenches. If we're to be the salt of the earth, we gotta get messy. And it's gonna be hard and it's gonna be difficult and it's not gonna be what you want. but it's what God calls us to. 
It's what God calls us to. You are the salt of the earth, and then in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So if we understand now what salt is, that it's a crystalline structure, but it also has these preservative and these flavoring properties to it, we have to now understand what light is. We have to understand, understand what light is. And I could get super scientific on it. Uh, the, the visible light that we have is part of the electromagnetic spectrum, blah, 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 gamma rays, radio waves, but in the center is visible light. And light illuminates the darkness. Ultimately, the visible light that we have illuminates the darkness. If we turned off all the lights in here and turned off all of the lamps along the side of this gym, this room is dark. Trust me, I've walked in here when the lights are off and you can't see anything. You gotta get a flashlight out to even turn the light switch on. Light illuminates. It brings darkness into view. When we're looking at these mountains that we've got in front of us, the light that we have illuminates the darkness. It helps us to traverse these mountains, to be able to climb them well, to be able to understand this is the next step I need to take and then this is the next step I need to take in order for us to engage the culture. It illuminates the darkness. It brings darkness into view. It also exposes truth. When we let the light of Jesus Christ shine on some of these things that are hard and difficult and challenging and at times sinful, the light of Jesus Christ exposes the darkness and exposes truth. It lets us see what is true. It lets us see what is right. It gives us a clear picture. <clears throat> Light also heals. It restores. It makes new. It's always in the in the <clears throat> what is it? The early fall we see always see the pictures of the sunflower fields where the sunflowers are following the sun across the sky. Or if you've ever had a house plant that's just struggling because you forgot to water it for three weeks and it's not in a sunny place in your house, but you give it a little bit of water and you put it in a windowsill and what happens? It greens back up. The leaves perk up. Light has a healing property to it. When I worked at the bank for 16 years, my office was in the middle of the building. Um, no windows. It was not awesome at this time of year. You drive to work and it would, the sun would be coming up and it's not really that bright outside and it's still frigid and cold and you go into your office and you'd work all day under fluorescent lighting um, and then you'd, you'd leave 5, 5.30 at night and it's dark already. And it's real easy to get depressed <laughs> midwinter. It's real easy to struggle in those times of years. I think we all probably have felt it. But I guarantee you, come February, March, when it's a lunchtime and it's maybe 25 degrees outside, 
but the sun's out and it's a clear day, I'm eating my lunch on the picnic table on the back parking lot of the bank. Because I need that healing, that restoring property that the sun brings. It's something we all crave, we all need. Light illuminates the darkness. It exposes the truth and it heals. It restores. After a dark winter, it brings new spring. But light also makes us look up. Light also makes us look up. I mean, just this week, like three of the five days this week, we've said, look at that sunset. Look up. Look at that sunrise. Look at how the plants are following the sun. Look up. So if we're to be the light of the world, our light is a reflection of the light of Jesus Christ. And so here's the question we have for us. Is the light that we're reflecting restorative? Is it healing? Is it causing others around us to look up? Or is it condemning? Is it spotlighting? Is it holding a flashlight in somebody's face? Verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Light in its proper position illuminates all who draw near to it. Light in its proper position illuminates all that draw near to it. If we're traversing these mountains or climbing these mountains and we're trying to understand the culture around us and trying to engage the culture around us, if we are reflecting the light of Jesus Christ with a spotlight mentality, we're not drawing anybody to Jesus. We're not drawing anybody to Jesus. We're exposing truth and pointing out the darkness in somebody. We're not healing them or restoring them in that moment. But when light is put in its proper position, the proper reflection of Jesus Christ to the world, then it illuminates all who draw near to it. It illuminates the dark places in people's lives and it draws out the truth that needs to be exposed in people's lives, but also it heals and it restores at the same time. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. Is he can expose you and heal you at the same time. So in the same way, let your light shine so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Let your light shine like a lamp on a stand, not spotlighting or focusing on one thing or, or, or condemning people by, by shining your, your reflection of Jesus in their face and saying, you're not like me but instead illuminating all who have drawn near to you and saying, this is the love that Jesus has for you. Let the works that you have draw them to Christ. So, how do we do it? How are we the salt? How, do, how are we the light of the world and the salt of the earth? We must choose to do these things. 
Because when, when we become followers of Jesus, when we say, yes, I'm a Christian, I believe that Jesus died and he rose from the dead for me. And we are living our lives that way. We have to make a choice. Am I going to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world? Or am I just going to keep this to myself? We must choose to live lives that reflect Jesus to the world around us. We must choose to live holy lives. If you're the salt of the earth, and you want to be the salt of the earth, the way that you have to, 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 to live your life, you have to remove any impurities from your life so that your saltiness doesn't go away. If there's something in your life that's stirring inside of you that's making your salt less salty, you're not as effective in the preservation of the things of God in this world, in the traversing of these mountains. So what is the thing in your life that's, that's making you not live as salt of the earth? Philippians chapter two, verse 14 says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. As children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation that's full of mountains, we shine as lights to the world. But if my life is not without blemish, if my life is pretty messed up, my light to the world is not as effective as it could be. My light to the world is dimmed, put under a blanket, turned down, brightness all the way to zero. And Jesus Christ is calling us here. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine. How do we let our light shine? By living lives that reflect the life of Jesus, by living lives that are holy and pleasing to God. In the Beatitudes, in, in verse 6 of chapter 5, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. He calls us to righteousness. He calls us to holiness. Why? Because He is holy. Not because He just wants us to, to be puppets in His game, but He wants to have a relationship with us. And in order for us to have a relationship with Him, we have to live lives that make it of make him available to us. So he's calling us to live holy lives first. Lives of love and kindness and peace. Lives that attract others to Jesus. Salt that's lost its saltiness is unable to do its job. Light that's hidden under a blanket because our lives aren't able to shine is useless. As we engage these mountains together, and we, we, we look at our culture today and, and we, we say, okay, this is, this is a person who's struggling and I want to engage them well. I'm going to be in contact with them and I'm going to put the time in with them and I'm going to make sure that my light is in the proper place. Then we can engage these mountains and we can walk up the mountains with the people in the world around us who are struggling with the things that Scripture says they're struggling with. 
And some of us in this room do this really well already. And when we engage the world around us in such a way, it draws us closer to the world, but also it makes Jesus known to the world at the same time. I think oftentimes we can take this passage and say, well, God's calling us to be separate or different than the world around us, and yes, he is. But he's not calling us to be separate and different and removed from the world. He's not calling us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and to condemn those around us who aren't like us. Uh, the Craig Blumberg in his New American Commentary on this passage says this, both metaphors of salt and light raise an important question about Christian involvement in society regarding all forms of separatism or withdrawal. We are not called to control secular power structures or neither are we promised that we can Christianize the legislation and the values of the world, but we must remain active, preservative agents Indeed, even irritants in calling the world to heed God's standards so that we dare not form isolated Christian enclaves to which the world pays no attention. If we pull ourselves out of society and just shout to the world around us, you need to be better, Jesus is calling you, but we don't engage in any real way, We're creating Christian enclaves in which the world pays no attention. It's just noise in the background. It's just noise. And we see this all the time in our culture today. It's us versus them. Politically, it's us versus them, both sides, right? In the Christian world, even in like, theologians are it's us versus them but they all believe in the same God and the same thing I don't understand why we engage like that and oftentimes as believers we stand at the curb of our culture and say this is the way but we don't engage in any actual real way we remain separated We're tossing salt, hoping that it preserves. We're spotlighting, hoping that it restores, but it doesn't work that way. Salt needs contact and time, and light needs to be in its proper position to heal and to restore. We don't climb these mountains in order to shout down at the world, exclaiming how great the view is. We climb the mountains hand in hand with those in the world, preserving them along the way with the love and grace and kindness of God. Illuminating the way, making their steps right and restoring them to the love of Christ. As we climb the mountain hand in hand, We make known the truths of scripture in love and kindness because kindness is what draws us to repentance. And then we can stand atop the mountain, these big cultural difficult things with somebody who struggled and walked up that mountain but has been preserved by the love and kindness of God, who's been made new by the loving light of Jesus Christ in their life. And we can stand atop that mountain that they've just overcome and look at the view and exclaim how great our God is. 
But if we're not salty, it's for nothing. If our light isn't right, it's for nothing. If we don't engage, it's for nothing. We don't climb these mountains to separate us from them. We climb the mountains so that others might know the love of God. So the worship team's gonna come back up. And here's, I've got two questions for you. If we say we're followers of Christ, if we say that we believe he is who he says he is, that, we, that he, he was born, he lived a perfect life, he died on a cross so that I might be able to have a relationship with God, and he rose again on the third day and is today alive and, and in relationship with us, if I believe these things, then something needs to be stirring inside of me to make me engage the world. And so two questions. What, is in, your, what in your life that is making your salt less salty? What in your life is making your salt less salty? What's the thing that's challenging you right now? where you know you've had opportunities to engage the world but you haven't done it, what's the thing that made you stop? Because we all can think of them. What's the thing that made you stop? Was it the amount of time that was needed? Was it the fact that you didn't think you were capable? Is it the fact that your life is so messy yourself, you don't even think you have an opportunity in front of you. What's the thing in your life that's making your salt not as salty? And how do we get rid of it? What's the thing in your life that's making your light not do the job that it can do? Are you so focused at shining a light on, on others around you that aren't like you and pointing them out Or maybe you're trying to shine your light, but you're a little scared, so you've hidden it underneath something, and you're just not willing to shine it to the world. What's the thing that's making your light not be in its proper position that it can illuminate all who draw near to it? And heal and restore and make new. It's the beginning of a new year, a new decade, And we could talk all about New Year's resolutions and, and, and all about goals that we need to set, but how awesome would it be if today you reached out to your Savior and said, hey, I need you to restore me. I need you to remind me how I can shine my light. I need you to rem help me get rid of these impurities in my life. And we start a new decade, a new year, Engaging our world differently, engaging the mountains around us differently. Not for our own glory, not for our own fame, but for the glory of God. And we're going to sing a song this morning that we've all heard the melody to year after year after year on New Year's Eve. It's a tune of Old Lang Syne with new words, new words that point us 
remind us that we need to give all the glory to Christ. All of the praise to Christ. So if right now you're thinking about the thing that's making your salt impure, thinking about the thing that makes your light dim, here's my challenge to you this morning, is tell somebody about it. Because if we're not willing to hold each other accountable or be close to somebody and engage them in their struggle here in this room, we're not gonna do it outside of this room. And so if you wanna tell somebody about what's going on in your life and you just need a little bit of encouragement or somebody to walk with you, come talk to one of the pastors, Scott, Megan, myself, Sharon's in the kids' area. Zach's on his way to Jamaica, so he doesn't count today. Come talk to one of us or turn to your neighbor who's near you and say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. And my salt isn't right, my light isn't right, and I want it to be. I want to engage these mountains well. I want to engage the world well. And over the coming weeks, we're going to dig into the scripture, the truths of these scriptures. And our heart can't be one of condemnation. Our, heart, our hearts have to be one of love and kindness and grace. Or else it's all for nothing. It's all for nothing. So we're going to worship and we're going to sing this old, ancient tune to new lyrics. But before that, I want you just to sit for a moment. Just sit for a moment and reflect. What in my life is pulling me away from being as effective as I could be for the kingdom? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your love. God, you've called us here to get messy with people, to get, to get dirty, to get in the trenches, not to condemn, not to shame, but to love and to show grace and mercy. And so God, as we worship this morning, as we reflect this morning, break our hearts, break our hearts. Convict us where we need conviction. Shore us up where we need shoring. God, break our hearts this morning. And then let us stand and let us sing with hearts that have been broken by your light, exposed by your light, but also restored by your light. Let us stand and let us sing. All glory be to Christ. Take just a minute to reflect and then let's stand and let's sing together.